Hello and welcome to the very first episode in the Emerging Tech series of the Leadership and Insurance Podcast. You may notice I'm not your usual host, this is Gavin Savage and I lead all things tech and engineering at FinPro. We're really excited to launch this new podcast series speaking to the leaders who are paving the way in the tech side of InsureTech. And to start this series with a bang, I'm joined by Dave Morris, VP of Engineering at 11FS to take a deep dive into all things tech innovation. Good morning and welcome to the Emerging Tech Series on the Leadership and Insurance Podcast. I'm your host Gavin Savage and on this podcast we bring together technologists from the world of InsureTech to generate insights around the rapidly evolving innovation across the landscape. The insurance industry is in the midst of unprecedented tech innovation from the likes of cyber, IoT, AI to connect insurance and this podcast aims to showcase the exciting movements we're seeing today. I'm very excited to be joined by an engineering leader that's been a massive contributor in transforming and digitizing the FS space. And this is also someone I've known for years, the VP of Engineering, Dave Morris from 11FS. Dave, welcome. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Gavin. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Great. It's, uh, yeah. it's good to be finally doing the podcast. I feel like we've been, uh, I feel like we've been chatting about it for a long time, on and off. Um, and what's even what's even better is that we get to do it in this lovely suite, the um, the FinTech Insights famous podcast suite. So thanks for having us. No, no, you're very welcome. Yeah. Well, look, I think um, a, a nice place to start would be just uh, an introduction from yourself, um, a bit about your career back, and let's set the scene around really, really, I guess, about your career journey and how you became involved in the financial services FinTech space. Yeah, yeah, I. I been a developer forever. Um, from early on, after university, I worked, you know, writing code. Got, got my, got my grassroots at all of that that level of things. But um, really, you know, I, I sort of ran my own business in sort of the late nineties, early, early two thousands, where we were working actually in some of the very early. Um, banking offerings on the internet for um, mainly near, near shore stuff in, in the Channel Islands, but for the first sort of um, Barclays internet only offering that they had out of um, that space. And that, that's where I first started off. But, you know, I've been through quite a journey since then working uh, in uh, BNP Paribas for nearly 10 years um, in their wholesale banking. And so got to see around the world a lot of what what happens in a big bank um, in different parts of, of their whole estate. So I, you know, my role covered 83 different countries that they had within that space, which wow. meant I got to see a lot of the different challenges and where different markets were emerging in different places in that. Um, and since then, I've been sort of working in consultancy and, and other product delivery roles um, until, you know, I arrived at 11FS um, about nearly a year ago uh, and have been sort of working in their technology, driving their technology teams, both from a, a sort of product delivery and, and also our, our consulting um, side of, of things from that um, on both advisory and how we, we help shape build for um, both banks and fintechs across those, those spaces. Fantastic. Thank you. And I think that probably just leads on nicely to, I mean, most people that will be listening to this will probably be aware of who 11FS are and what they do, but amazingly enough, I still speak to people that don't. Um, so for the listeners out there, why don't we just define, you know, who are 11FS and what is the mission? Yeah, I think it was, a lot of people view 11FS, if they do know us, as the people who do the FinTech Insider podcast. Mm. Um, but actually, you know, we're 
you know, seven years in as a as a as a company that was was founded with a mission to really um, transform that the financial services to to change the fabric of it, and you know, started with this sort of mission view that one percent of digital banking is done, mm. um, and you know, David Breer and the and, and Jason, the founders, sort of came out of the world of Starling and Monzo. Um, with you know you and Silver, who's our CTO, and that's where where our sort of foundations came from from that world of, of, of challenges. And I think we've been working not just with fintechs, but with the the big banks on on how do they actually try and compete against the you know the challenges and the fintechs, and helping them really understand what <clears throat> what digital means. Um, and actually, we we talk about digitized as opposed to digital, which is that step further mm. from from digital. You know, if you were to think about, you know, a digital newspaper is your Times or your Guardian, but actually, digitized is that step beyond that into the world of yeah. um, how the community comes together and, and builds news and and is sort of fed and, and fostered around in the the more social way of, of how we consume news nowadays. And that's where we're trying to get a lot of them to think. Obviously, technology-wise, there's massive challenges for particularly the big banks, um, both in not just architecturally, but the way they work as well from, from those perspectives on how they can even address some of those things. So we spend a lot of time um, with my team sort of doing advisory pieces on how do they even start on some of these things, particularly mm. in, in, the, in the big big banks. And I think it's the same from a bank perspective as it is for the insurers and things like that in those those areas. Yeah, well, thank you for that. That's, um, that's a great description. And I think as well, you know, your experience coming from the, the large incumbent, as you kind of touched on, and um, bringing that experience into building these startups and scale-ups. Um, I think your role situates you with a broad lens of the of the fintech innovation environment. Um, but honing in on the, the insurtech expertise in particular, you know, what role does Livingness play within insurtech innovation? Yeah, I suppose for us, we don't, we don't, you know. I think insurtech is is as much as a marketing thing as anything. We view yeah, it as, it's a as buzzword. <laughs> yeah, we, we view it as as you know that it's financial services. So uh, I think a lot of the challenges for big insurers for insurtechs are the same as what we would class as the the fintechs, who is more the sort of the payment banking space, and and the same challenges for the big banks. You know, they're you know. The, the startup insurtechs are chomping at the bit and trying to, to take market share off the big incumbents and the big incumbents are trying to work out how do they actually pivot and and work in those spaces when they have none of that agility that the the challenges are coming in on those other directions. So I think there's lots of parallels in that space and I think a lot of the the journey that, that maybe the banks have gone a little bit further, probably not as far as you think they have. Um, mm. There's still that catch-up game behind on, on some of the insurance side. Um, but a lot of those challenges, you know, with the people that we're working with, um, you know, big insurers, um, but, you know, and beyond that into to sort of smaller um, bank insurers, just mm. sort of multi yeah, multi-setup people who are trying to sort of work out how do they actually get in a place in that and how do they actually get a foothold into the world where increasingly their, their customers want to be digital mm. um, for everything. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it probably brings me perfectly on to the next point around the, the, the waves that we're seeing in, as you say, financial services, but specifically in insurance. And, you know, when we're discussing the, the evolution, we often break it down into waves, you know, insure tech wave being those tech disruptors, as you say, that's trying to 
collaborate or compete against the the incumbents. But you know, InsureTech too is, refers more to that point around collaboration. Um, you know, whilst we're certainly starting to see significant changes in insurance, and you kind of touched on there's still a long way to go in the banking world. You've you've made a lot of headway, and. Um, you know, the motto at 11FS, which you touched on, is, is, is that digital banking is only 1% finished and you help build and design and launch that next 99%. You know, you've really helped digitise the banking worlds and almost kind of see like 11FS as the, as the Spotify of the FS space. You know, you've, you've helped so many digital brands. You know, insurance kind of feels like right now where fintech was about eight or ten years ago. Um, you know, drawn in your broader fintech perspective, you know, what lessons do you think the insurtech space can learn from the broader fintech scene? And do you think insurtech will follow that same trajectory and really become digitized? I, yeah, I think it will. Um, I think there's, uh, I think one of the big lessons that a lot of the, the sort of fintechs have learned, and particularly the, the challenger banks and the, and the bigger banks, is that people want a joined up world much more. And, mm. you know, they don't want to, you know, have pockets of things in, different places and they actually want to be able to see how that all comes together um they want you know a combination of being able to understand where i am what's going on you know advice about what i should be doing and all in one place that comes together and i think that's one of the lessons that you know the banks have really learned um that they're starting to you know take people on a journey more where they can actually start to help their Mm -hmm. customers um in a way that isn't just about i can I can see my accounts and my balances, but I actually start to give it to them in a way that makes a difference to them. So I can actually start to budget and I can start to see my, my you know, set, set challenges for where I want to do my savings so that I've got goals and targets of, of things that I want to do to start to actually let me think about the money, how in my own mental model is in, as opposed to the way the bank wants to lay it out to you and things like mm-hmm. that. And I think those, those trends will come more to the insurance space as well um it becomes more personal ultra personalized to people on how you think as opposed to how a big institution may want you to think mm. um and and don't just assume that's how people want to think yeah and, and what do you think's been the i guess this is very subjective to you but you know what do you think the main why insurance has been so late to kind of draw on that collaboration that you know, the, the carriers, the brokers, and then trying to, you know, almost seeing these digital MGAs is, you know, they're not quite wanting to, we're starting to see more embeddedness now, but why has it been, why has it taken them so long when they can see the other side of financial services just, you know, really running with it a lot more smoothly? Still challenging, well, but smoothly. I, I think there is, you know, if you look at the other side of financial services where there are big challenges, you'll see a lot more parallels to what's going on in insurance. So, you know, the mortgage space is very broker-led in the same way a lot of insurance is very broker-led. Yeah. That distribution of things is very difficult to digitize in in those ways so a lot of those areas haven't really shifted the dial from a a financial service perspective and i think some of those challenges are probably what the the insurance space is seeing in in the way that you know it's it's not a simple channel of how you deliver things it's much more distributed in some of those pieces and um you know Maybe insurance as a service in the way that banking as a service is something that becomes yeah. more important in, in those spaces that, you know, you can have a platform that can actually get you across those channels much easier than maybe you, you know, you worry about in the banking space. You know, if you look at your core banking of, you know, my, you know, my check account, my savings account. Sorry, I've been working with Americans for too, <laughs> too long over the last few weeks. I'm still talking about checking accounts and, you know, your current <laughs> account, your 
savings accounts and, and things like that, that's, you know, those are all there and you get those things and that's, that's there at the cart of your banking. But the minute you get out of those spaces into more periphery products, mm. that hasn't really been served very well really? still from a digital perspective. And I think a lot of the challenges that have been hit there are, are very, very similar um, from, from an insurance perspective. Mm. Um, and I think some of it is about reinventing the products as well, thinking differently about how do you take those out there, you know, you know, if I talk to my, you know, I've got two twenty year, odd year old kids. They don't want to talk about retirement and yeah. pensions and things like that. They'll talk about long term saving, mm-hmm. but effectively it is still a pension. Yeah. But they don't want to use that phrase of retirement and things like that. It's just too far away from them, you know. And to be honest, it keeps moving further away from them all the time from a you know retirement age perspective. So it's not something that they're interested in in those sorts of things. And I think reinventing the products and how that gets taken out to people. Yeah, um, is is important. Otherwise, you'll only you know if you look at the way some of those products are served, you'll only serve the the sort of older generations of people in there. You're not going to serve your you know people coming straight out of university and those things. How do you encourage people to think about you know pensions and life insurance and other things yeah. like that in those spaces? It's it's a difficult market to to get people to even consider with the challenges we've got. Today, how do you think about savings for the long term and yeah. things like that and retirement? When, it's know, fascinating, though, isn't it? That you, yeah. just, you just don't think about it. I mean, I've got, we've spoken about it before. You know, I've got a two-year-old daughter and only just got life insurance um, two months ago. You know, I'm 32 years old and never even thought about it because of the... If you want to open a new savings account or a checking account, if you're you know, touching the American terminology, it's very easy. You go on to the app store, you download that, and you can do it in seconds. Yeah. When when you think about life insurance, you know, I didn't really know where to go. It turned into a cold call and it elaborated over two months into eight cold calls. And then there was, as I kind of said to you, you know, two pieces of paper in the post. And, and, and that's what kind of spoke to me about joining the insurance space. You know, something happening now with these emerging technologies. But you're right, the product needs to change. Insurance as a service needs to change. And, and that's the big question. How do we change it? How do we make it more appealing? So I guess... That brings me on to the next question. Of where do you, what do you think the next wave would be within InsureTech or could be? Yeah, and, you know, the obvious, there's going to be a lot of AI stuff in there, but, mm. you know, I'm sure lots and lots of the people are, of are talking about it. And it, it is, it, yeah, there's a buzzword there and things like oh. that. But, you know, I, I think there are other areas that, that, that are going to be important you can think about um, that are sort of how do you embed insurance projects into other things? Um, so... Um, for example, we're having some conversations with people in, in sort of um, emerging markets about, in a corporate perspective, how do you put insurance on a payment to ensure that a payment is going to happen? Mm. Um, so sort of embedding a product in a, a bigger transaction flow. So you sort of in, you know, embedded insurance within other things in the same way you're talking about embedded payments and things. Um, I think insurance on demand type things. There's sort of, you know, you're starting to see offerings of things like, you know, pay-as-you-go travel insurance um, type things coming up um, where people start to, to not think about, um, you know, having to go, I'm going to have a whole annual policy. I'll, I'll just pay for the days I'm traveling um, yeah. on a, a sort of almost um, the way you think about paying for your mobile phone and other things, you know. Mm. Um, and so the, I think there are things like that that will start to sort of 
be more innovative about some of the products that people start to see, whether it's embedding or whether it's thinking about the way it's delivered to people in a different way, as well as the, the obvious of the, the buzzword of AI, which is going to, you know, at the heart of a lot of those things is data, and data is going to yeah. drive a lot of those decisions, a lot of those things, and um, I think that's where a lot of the um, the big insurers and things struggle to really actually manage their data in a way that actually can decision the things that they're doing and I think that's a big journey that they need to go on on those those things it's still you know they silo their business in a massive mm. way in so many so many ways yeah and I think um that what you touched on the pay-as-you-go travel insurance again it's just something that I'm quite a call myself a bit of a traveler you know and I've never ever got it because it's that annual tying yourself in paying monthly for something that again you're never really seeing the not return, but you know the benefits of paying it every month when you go away for such a short period of time for two weeks, so you just don't get it. But it's an extra yeah, we, we've all got mobile phones that are geofenced. They know where we are. You know where you're traveling. Oh, you yeah. went to Europe. Pay for the Europe policy for three days. Yeah. Um, you know, and the only thing you need to let them know is how many people travelled with you mm. that, that you want cover for, and and you know at the end of it you pay when you get back, and it just takes it off your your credit card. Yeah, whatever. You know, it, it's it's a very simple thing, leveraging the technology. Thing. Just push it, yeah, yeah. Just push the envelope. And I think, um, you know, we talk about buzzword AI. I mean, yes, it has been around for a long time, and, and obviously ChatGPT has really sped that up in terms of how we could potentially create more use cases with it. But, you know, I think um, one thing I've noticed in the last kind of two months is the, I guess in Europe and the US, where you're kind of working a lot heavily at the moment, they just seem to be way ahead of the curve in terms of, been able to almost trust it. It's a bit of a taboo thing in financial services using AI because of how intuitive it could be and the data collection. But you know, I just wonder why in the UK I still, you know, probably will never get the question answered. But I do wonder in the UK why they're so reluctant to trust things like AI when it can make their jobs so much easier. It's not to replace it. It's not to replace it. It's to, it's to help. Uh, I, I don't. Think, I I think it's a healthy scepticism, to be honest. I don't think it's a lack of trust in the UK. I think that it is. Okay. It has its right place, but it also has a, a lack of maturity to get there. Still, um, I think there's a lot more that needs to be understood. There's, you know, yes, it's it's going to be powerful. It's going to reinvent so many things. You know, if you think about my world of, you know, people will talk about, oh, I can use ChatGTP to to write code. Yeah. You know, well, yeah, you can, but um, can it, you know, what people miss when they talk about people who are developers is there's a massive chunk of creativity in it's that. It's a massive chunk of learning as well. Uh, well, it's not the learning you can give it, and that's the thing that AI will win on because you can feed it with so much learning of so many different patterns and ways of doing, but you can't replace the create, creative spark of someone. Yeah. Um, and, and that, I think, people people think... People who are going, oh, I can get AI to just write code for all of these things by giving it scenarios, is people who think the, develop, the, the, the process of developing is just turning the handle and actually, okay, you've given me a set of requirements, I will write something that does X. Well, it's, there's much more to it than that and things like that. And actually, you know, I, I think where it will come in, there's lots of places where it'll help augment very much the way that you work from an engineering perspective, whether that's helping much smarter ways of scanning your code for security by, by, by using much better algorithms, by being able to say, right, I've got all of this code that's now written that functionally does what I do. Can you 
cover it with logging and things like that so it's now robust and, and things like that in, in those things so being able to sort of accelerate some of the mundane jobs very quickly that, that you mm. don't think about from those things so automatically documenting things as you go or you know helping when people come in as new joiners you know describe what what our landscape is you know point at your repository and tell me about all of the the things that are out there. I think the challenge is at the moment is a lot of that information goes outwards. You know, you've seen the, the horror stories of the people. Well, you know, if I go and put my code out into something like that, that's now in that knowledge base of, of what it's using to describe everything else. You know, you see the horror stories of the, the guys at Samsung who put some of their proprietary yeah. code in to chat GDP to get it to, to document it. It now owns that code. Um, you know, it's it's no longer their proprietary code. It's it's something that's in the in the the metaverse of, of ChatGTP. So, you know, there is, there's some yeah. gotchas and governance and things that, and I think that's where some of the big orgs start to worry about it is how do we keep our IP in, in a world like that? Mm. It's interesting to hear how as an engineering leader you use it to, to augment um, certain elements of your day-to-day. -day. You know, I know I certainly use it to reduce things like admin. For me, you know, I, I hate, hate admin and that just reduces a day's worth of work into Sometimes literally minutes. Well, you know, if you look at the waves that we've gone through in engineering where we started, you know, when I, you know, it probably shows my age, uh, you know, I started, I was writing assembler code. Right. And, and you know, and, and we've gone up levels of things, which, and every time, it's not about reinventing what we're doing. It's about making it easier, taking away the, the mundane, the horrible things yeah. to actually raise the level of the value you're adding as an engineer so that you're, you know, you're spending less of your time doing the base level things that aren't, you know, yeah, they all have to be done, they're important, but they don't add value. Yeah. And actually, I'm now doing more of my time at the things that are differentiating us, that are making a difference to us and adding value to us as a business, and less time at the, you know, the administrative, just turn the handle and get things done. And I think, again, it's going to be another one of these things that moves us up yet again in that, mm. that value chain to, to allow us to focus on the, the, the higher value for more of our time. I love that. I love that. And I think for any up and coming software engineers or those that are maybe just starting the trade, you know, I think that's probably a big worry for them. You know, should I be getting into this? Because am I going to be replaced? And I think what you said there is absolutely not. All it's doing is going to help you level up. So, I mean, I guess, do you have a kind of token of advice or, or reassurance for the, the up and coming software engineers oh. to keep going with it? You know, AI is not going to replace. It's not, you. it's not going to replace. We, we, you know, it'll reinvent what we do. It'll change what we've done. But, you know, if I look across my, you know, nearly thirty odd years of thirty, yeah, thirty years of, of career, <laughs> it's it's reinvented itself so many times. Yeah, you know, and you just get, you have to go with it, you know, and if you go with it, you you survive and you tell, you go with the next wave of things in the same way that you you watch is happening in fintech and in shortech. Those waves happen, and if you if you ride those waves and go with those waves, you'll be successful and come out the other side. In the same way as your career, if you're if you know working as as an engineer in you know, as a developer or whatever, you know, you go with those waves. You know, you, you see the, you know, the guys I worked with at BNP Paribas who were all d managing massive infrastructure in big data centers. They've had to reinvent themselves to think about the cloud. Mm -hmm. You know, they go with those waves through those things and, and we all move with those things and think, and, you know, and the people who can do that are the people who are successful and, and have longevity in their career. And, and I think you have to be able to adapt. Yeah. Um, yeah, now more than ever, gosh. Um, well, I think I just wanted to, that's, that's really interesting. I wanted to kind of switch gears slightly, still in the same vein. 
talk a bit more what you and I have kind of been quite passionate about um, over the weeks and months that we've been kind of talking about this podcast and, and you know, in terms of culture, disconnect within teams across the psychological safety of engineers. And, and you know, this is something that, as I say, we like to discuss the nuance of, on this podcast, the nuance of company culture is really hard to pinpoint, you know, in a startup which is pivotal to the success of a growing insure tech. So we often speak about, speak to people about the, on the insure side of, of insure tech. So now with this new tech series, you know, I'm keen to get your perspective on the culture they're in from the tech side of the industry. So, you know, engineering teams are often thought to almost operate in, in, in parallel. But to be honest, as you and I kind of touched on, it's like they're almost in a black box separate to the the rest of the organ that can create that disconnect between engineering, product, sales, marketing, you know, how does this happen time and time again? Why is it happening? What are the dangers of that? I, I think it happens a lot less in startups and smaller organizations. And, and that's, you know, it, it, the bigger, big organizations, and, and you'll, you'll still see it in, you know, big insurers, big banks, you know, other big, big organizations, they, they view, view IT as a, as a cost center in the corner. Mm. Um, and, you know, even still, I, I think yeah. there still is in a, in a lot of cases, um, and you know, and you know they'll do things like I've got an innovation centre, <laughs> and that's where we do innovation, you know, and and so nothing about it. <laughs> it's, it's it's thinking about those things differently, you know, IT and the, and what those teams are building and developing is enablers for the business and is actually helping accelerate what they're doing. Um, in the same way that innovation actually isn't a center that you do over there. It's, yeah, yeah, they can enable that, but innovation is a culture across your organization. Yeah. It's about ideas and, and things like that. Um, and I think the, for me, what, you know, if you, you see those really successful fintech and insurtech startups, what they've really done is embedded their engineering teams into the, the product teams, into the way that they're building and working so that, you know, that is a real view, value chain view the whole way of, of what's there. And, you know, the engineers understand what the outcomes of what they're doing are all the way up to, you know, if we deliver this feature, we move the dial here and open, you know, it improves our, you know, customer satisfaction in this way, or it helps us get into this new market in this way. Um, and I think in a lot of organizations historically have, have broken that connection. And, and their engineers end up being, you know, I'm, I'm just picking up a set of tickets to work through off of yeah. Jira or whatever and ship some code because I'm working through tickets and they've lost that connection as to what does that really mean. Yeah. And with that, people lose, you know, lose the business connection, lose the value, lose the, even the passion as to what they're doing and why, what's the difference? What, what, what difference does this make? You know, yeah, I've done my job and I've delivered a load of tickets, but actually what does that mean to the business? And yeah. I think that's where, that's how you succeed and how you actually make a difference is, is by really connecting everything together. I think a lot of people do it by thinking about how they work in Agile, whether they're bringing, you know, starting at the top level as a business and thinking about what, you know, what your KPIs and your North Stars as a business you're trying to do. But you have to bring that down yeah. to look at, okay, this is our engineering roadmap and our product roadmap. And, you know, whether that's coming from the product piece in from engineering internally through tech debt and other things that you want to, that you need to be doing and building the value chain around those things as to, to what you're delivering, um, you know, tracking the key objectives of what you want to achieve and what you want to see shipping so that actually at a day-to-day -day level, you're, you're, 
you know, your team on the ground who are writing code, they sit and they do their planning for their next two week sprint. Their goals are tied back into those objectives. Mm. So my two weekly sprint goals, I can understand how they're contributing back up to the business. Um, and, and that connection makes a massive difference to both the, the belief in what the teams are doing, but also um, the way that they're viewed at, from outside back in. Mm -hmm. um, because you, you know, people can see the value of what that is, and whether that's, you know, they're working on a piece of technical debt, you can still see how that contributes value back. Because actually, it's fixing a quality problem that is causing a pain to our customers in this way, and so you you can see, mm -hmm. you know, all of those things, and they they have a there's a connection and a full cycle of those things, and I think that's in that's the big difference for me of what you have to try and make sure you're doing when you're working on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. And I mean, as someone that's completed, you know, a number of searches for scale-ups in the, in the FinTech space, one very recently just rung true with that, you know, allowing, reminding the engineers why they're here, you know, it's all well and good picking up a paycheck of, you know, whatever it is, very good salary, et cetera, but they're, they're shipping stuff out daily fast and that feels good, but why are they doing it? And I was working with the remittance-based um, FinTech in, in the US and, team of 300 engineers and you know there's, there's so many of them um and i think um it's very difficult to lose that vision i, I think it becomes, it, becomes, so, it becomes more important where we're all distributed as well and we're not in in the office and things like that so you you can't talk about, but uh, but it and it becomes more important as a role as a leader to actually be able to articulate that vision and to what that means from a day-to-day -day basis to actually um you know how, how do you change that then as a leader how do you think how do, how do we, you and, and other engineering leaders, change this and affect the more collaborative? Because you touched on it, reminding them why they're there, but how do we, how do we change it? I, I think, you know, certainly a lot of, I think if I looked historically, a lot of my role as, as, a, as an engineering leader was downwards into the engineering teams. Hmm. And actually your role becomes much more rounded. It's about, you know, talking up, talking down, talking across to your peers and making sure that you're, you're joining that whole world together and almost um, making sure that, you know, those conversations are happening across all of the layers so that that connection to the business within the teams is there. And, you know, you're almost making sure that you're you're facilitating as much some of those conversations as, as you know, you, it can't be a top-down message from you. You know, you can lead and you can talk about what it is as, at a vision level, but on a day-to-day, -day, that needs to be lived and breathed from the teams so you know and embedding the right people together in the right places with multifunction teams so yeah. it's not just engineers it's engineers with product people with designers mm. um you know you've got the risk people and the compliance people connected into your program so that they're there on a day-to-day -day basis they're not someone who comes in at the end and you know waves a magic wand and says yes it passes compliance no they've been yeah. embedded from Lots the beginning the yeah. um you know and and making sure those specialists are part of the pro of the program of work from the beginning not from you know the, you know the gates that you have to go through later on and things it like that to become critical to the other side of the business you know um yeah really interesting do you think you've achieved that 11 fx you know do you think everyone i mean how, how large is the engineering team uh, we, we're, we're not a big engineering team, you know, we're, you know, we're not 
a massive organization. Mm. We tend to flex up and engineering in particular is an area that we flex up and down as projects come in and out from a, sure. you know, and we actually facilitate a lot of, you know, we work for working with a big bank. Often the engineers are in their space and we're actually facilitating how they work and the ways of working and things much more than we are necessarily augmenting mm. um, the numbers of people into there. Um, you know, I, it, yeah, very much varies depending on what's on what's going on from from a perspective. Um, you know, at the heart of the team is you know architecture and advisory pieces that we do, and a lot of that is you know about not just you know you have to bring together that ultimate piece that says I've got people, I've got technology, and I've got ways of working, and in the middle of that, there's a sweet spot on how those all come together. And and so we talk a lot about how you bring those those three dimensions in a way that helps you success, succeed as an organization by, by getting, and a lot of people get the balances out between those things. I'll focus too much on, on technology or too much on ways of working. And, mm. you know, if you, if you don't get the balance between those things right, um, you know, that, then you, you start to, you know, either stagnate the way you're working or you, you know, get too focused on technology and too disconnected from from the business and things like that and so to so getting those things really in as, as a sweet spot how you bring them together is, is the ultimate piece in that and and often you know, you'll look at organizations particularly you know you can go and look at you know it's a big insurer or a big bank and that often their organization defines their architecture yeah um and <laughs> If they're going to change the way they architect, and which often they have to, if they're going to try and be more digital or whatever, they can't just think about changing the technology. They have to think about changing their organization and things like that because they've been set up to have, here's a big team over here that runs our course, you know, our core insurance system at the back. And um, we've got another team over here. And actually, you need to start to break those up and think about the way that you operate as well as much um, as much as you do the technology um so you know that that organization piece is just as important and in there and i think people don't think about that they'll think you know one thing versus another and actually have to bring those things together and, mm. and it is at the beginning it seems like that isn't it when something new comes in from a tech perspective it's almost like ah oh, you know so resistant to change and then over time it always ends up what i can kind of see particularly in insurance is that they realise they do have to collaborate, and it, and it does work. It's a lot. It's a lot of heavy lifting at the beginning, but in the long term, yep. it's far better for everyone. Oh, uh, you know, with it, you know, of the big organisations I've worked with, you know, across, and it is the same wherever they are. The amount of times, and I, I could be rich if I'd got a couple of pounds every time <laughs> I heard this. People who've said, "Oh, but we've always done it that way." Yeah. Um, yeah. Without actually, and nobody's got a clue why anymore. <laughs> It's just always been done that way, and and actually, people aren't willing to challenge some of those things as to, mm. but why do you do it that way? Yeah. Yeah, what's what's the purpose? Oh, but we always have. You just get shot down, though. That's why. You just get shot down. We don't question why we do. It, just do it. I, I think some of it is people. People are terrified of change in a lot of cases. You know, you know, and you look, you know, how how many of these these big organisations of people have been there 15, 20, 25 years. Mm. Um, of course, that's how they've always done it because they've never been anywhere else. Yeah. Um, and and so, you know, yeah, they have amazing pension schemes. Of course, they're not going to move somewhere else and, and things like that. But um, you need to be able to challenge the norm there and, and actually. And that's one of the things that we, you know, 
we try and do differently but on 11FS. We try and be very opinionated about stuff. Some people hate that. Mm-hmm. And some people actually like that. And, um, you know, but we, you know, we're not going to pull our punches and we're not going to, we're going to be honest about what we see and what we say. Um, and I think that's something that people need to hear at times because otherwise you're not going to do something differently, you know. And, mm. you know, you can look from the outside and go, well, why do you drill a hole in your head every day? Well, but we've always done that way. And, and they can't think how to change from that and how to do it differently. But if you are going to achieve and be able to compete against the insured techs, the fintechs, you've got to ultimately reinvent yourself and do something different as an organization. Yeah. And, uh, and whether it's, you know, at whatever point, whether it's technology or not, it, it is different things that people have to do differently. Yeah, it's really, really interesting. Again, how. I love that bit at the end, just how you talk about the your opinionated. Some people like it and, and some people don't, but it's what they need to hear. Um, and I think just kind of going back to the, the beginning, we talked about culture in, in terms of psychological safety, which, again, you know, you and I kind of see it more and more often, but it is a kind of critical concept in terms of it has such an impact on the engineers that work with you or the engineers that you're working with, you know, in terms of creativity, innovation and, and ultimately, it does refer to that belief that someone will, will just not be humiliated if they ask why we do things or suggest a new thing, you know, for speaking up with ideas, questions or, or concerns. Like, you know, I guess it's probably hard to answer in a, in a, in a question, but what does it mean to you and, and how do you protect that within your yeah. engineering teams or how do you try and advise businesses to protect it? A lot of it is about trust and, you know, and building trust in, in pe- you know, people as a team, trusting each other and things like that. Um, but it, it has to come as a, a sort of culture as a whole and things, you know, it, you know, if you were to sort of take innovation and, and that whole idea of things, you know, yeah, I remember when I was working at B&B Paribas, a lot of, lot of things, you know, if you were going to do a proof of concept, you almost pretty much have to have a successful outcome if you were going to get it signed off, um, which completely fails the whole idea of innovation. Yeah. And actually, success is you know, <laughs> learning from your failures is probably more powerful sometimes and, yeah. and things like that. And actually having a culture, making the team understand that, you know, no idea is a bad idea. Yes, it may be not the right thing, but it may spark the best idea that you're ever going to have out of the fact that that wrong idea was something that made someone else think about something different. Mm-hmm. But if that's not, if you're not comfortable and you haven't got the trust in a team and the psychological safety to be able to air that, it's never going to come out. And it's yeah. and so that actually massively successful idea was never found because the wrong idea didn't come out in the first place. Too scared to try. Um, and so you know, at the heart of it is trust, and the heart of it is is transparency. Both you know, willing to you know, be human as a you know, as a, as a leader at the top, you have to be human. You have to be willing to be wrong, willing to ad- admit that that you make mistakes we don't we're not always perfect and you know building a team around that understand that's that's a way of working that we are we are human we're not automatons we're just delivering mm-hmm. things that but we're all in it together i remember you know when i was a developer we went through this massive cultural piece for quite a long time with this whole concept of blame culture of you know oh who broke the build sort of type concept and yeah. um, but actually at the heart of that, it wasn't about blaming someone. It was about understanding the why. Mm. And then actually as a team, it wasn't about the person who broke it to fix it. It was the team to fix it. And actually it's about learning from that. And, uh, you know, I think it was the wrong, 
it was the wrong message the way you described it and things like that with this because it was always talked about a blame culture yeah. um but actually it was about trying to open up the psychological safety to um i think you'd, you'd address it in a very different way now than maybe you would have done 10 years ago and the way you describe it but at the heart of it it was actually a very successful thing because it made people um think about what they were doing to actually be honest and say yes i understand what i've done and i know why and i, and I can work past that forward into into the future that we've as a team fixed this problem um and it is much more you know and i think if you're going to be successful you have to start to Yes, individuals need to be comfortable to be able to say things, but as a team, you need to have that culture as a whole that you you believe in in that, and it's a you know it's a safe space that you can you can say those things. Um, I think some organisations try and get it so that you get you know I, you have the safe space that you can talk about in your retrospective at the end of your sprint, but actually it should be a safe space as a whole, full stop, mm. not just at points of time in things in the processes to be able to actually come out and say the things that you really need to say. Yeah, I mean, it's. Um, I think the things that I took from that is your trust, transparency, and, and just accepting the, being able to fail. Um, and breaks from the hierarchies. Yeah. You know, you, know you, you, you get this this view of a hierarchy where, you know, I can't challenge the people above me. Of course you can. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and actually, you know, some of the best managers that I've ever had have actually people have been terrified of, but they've they're actually willing to accept when you say no to them, because you have a reason why, and then you can have a real discussion with them. But so many other people were like, "Oh, but they're this terrifying ogre, and it's far more they're far more senior than us, and I couldn't possibly say no." So it always has to be a yes. They don't want to hear that. Mm-hmm. They want to. They actually want to hear the honest answer to things, um, and and so people have to be able to be transparent about those things and and saying no isn't a bad thing yeah you know there's a reason and 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 part of that that gives you the opportunity to understand okay in how it's been shaped right now you can't achieve this but let's understand together how we can um but if you you know if you don't say that you're going to carry on ultimately that's how you get into this world where yeah, how did we get to two weeks away from a delivery and suddenly we're six months late? Yeah, because nobody no said challenge. anything no, yeah. and nobody's challenged anything. And you see, still see that now. You know, I think it's better, a lot better than it used to be, but it still happens. And that's a lack of trust and a lack of of, of psychological safety in an organisation that people are willing to say those things out loud. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for the insight on that, and um, I think that's a great place to leave it. Um, you know, we've covered so much today and um, thank you for your time. No, um, it's been, been great to chat. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers.